This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolot Sami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and broadcasted by Joy Worship at 96.5 and 98.9 FM. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we are truly honored to have Cheryl Cumley join us. Cheryl is an author, commentary writer, and the online opinion editor for The Washington Times. Cheryl hosts a twice-weekly podcast at The Washington Times called Bold and Blunt and available on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast hosting sites and at The Washington Times online platform. She is the author of Police State USA, How Orwell's Nightmare is Becoming Our Reality, and another book, The Devil in D.C., Winning Back the Country from the Beast in Washington. She is also a licensed private investigator and principal of Cumley Investigations. And for more information, please visit CherylCumley.com. Cheryl at America's Roundtable, it is truly our great honor to have you on this weekend. Welcome, Cheryl. Welcome, Cheryl. Cheryl, Natasha, thank you so much for having me. It's great to chat with you, always. Uh, Cheryl, in your excellent book, Socialists Don't Sleep, scheduled to be released on September 22nd by your publisher, Humanix Books, you make it simple to understand what socialism is, how to recognize it, and how to counter it. And you said, I quote, there's freedom and there's not. There's sovereignty and there's globalism. There's the constitution and there's unconstitutional. There's the notion of God-given rights and there's a government that treads on those rights. Cheryl, could you kindly share with us your thoughts about why so many Americans embrace socialism, which is the road to serfdom? Well, I, I think that an argument can be made that those who embrace socialism nowadays maybe don't have a true understanding of what socialism is and to the evils that it leads to in economic, political, cultural, societal systems. Because the fact is our public school systems don't teach the evil side of socialism. Uh, so you can make that argument. But the argument that I think should be made nowadays, and the, the excerpt that you read, I'm, I'm glad 
glad you chose that to read because it goes to the overall point of my book. We have spent so much time in the last few years arguing over the scholarly definition of socialism. And what that does is it gives the socialists, uh, the collectivists, the far leftists, the tools they need to they need to deny that they are in fact socialists and collectivists. So we spend so much time arguing over the differences between socialism and progressivism and democratic socialism and uh, Marxism and communism that it's become clouded, convoluted, and chaotic, and it's just a big confusion out there where even those on the left can't nail down the proper definition. So what I do is I say, enough. It's either socialism or it's, it's either American, it's either freedom, it's, even, it's either the Constitution or it's not. And we, we just can't allow the left to keep moving the goalpost and changing definitions on us because what happens is our God-given rights as American citizens erodes in the process. So in this book, what I do is I don't look so much at socialism as at the seeds of socialism, the sneaky ways that socialism and collectivism and all the evil isms that aren't Americanism seep into our system. You said so rightfully, America is great because America is free. But America is great too because America is principled. And this country is good because it takes its definition of good from a moral compass shaped by God, dictated by the Bible, forged by Judeo-Christian ideals. Let the secularists laugh, let the atheists mock and scorn. Cheryl, could you kindly expand on your message, which is so relevant for America today? My whole basic premise, not just in this book, but even in my other two books, is that all that ails America right now is that we as a nation and as individuals have moved away from that great core concept of America, that here in this country, our rights come from God, not government. And when we move away from that, what happens is it opens the doors for government to come in, take control, take powers that the Constitution clearly states that they're not supposed to have, but common sense Americanism also clearly states that they should in no way have. If we are a nation where our rights come from God, not government, then that's not just a blessing, right? It also carries a responsibility. It means we as individuals have to look to God and put God first over government. But what's happened in America, and you guys know this because we've, we've talked about this before, American citizens are looking more and more toward government to solve all their problems. You know, we used to be a nation of people that were proud to do things for ourselves. We wanted to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We could fix this. We could do this. And then we hear things from like Barack Obama. You didn't build that. You didn't do this. And we believe those lies. And then we open our borders to let people from other nations come in legally or illegally, but they bring with them ideas that counter America's greatness. They bring with them ideas of socialism, that it's supposed to be a government that provides for the people. They bring with them an unaware, an unawareness of what makes America great, that here we do things for ourselves because we are endowed by our creator to do things for ourselves. And so 
slowly over the years and now rapidly in recent years, our country has moved away from our rights come from God, not government. And we are now more relying on our rights, our authorities, our freedoms only come from what government deems that we should have. And if we can turn back the clock and get back to the time where we put God in charge again, then I think everything else will naturally follow, that our individual rights, our individual freedoms will naturally go back to the place where they're supposed to. Cheryl, the Pew Research came out with a report that there is a record 44.8 million immigrants living in the United States, uh, and that was in 2018. They make up 13.7% of the nation's population, and it represents a more than fourfold increase since 1960, when 9.7 million immigrants in, lived in the United States, accounting for just 5.4 of the total U.S. population. Now, we do realize that there's a group of people coming from abroad that want to be able to enjoy the rule of law, economic freedom, and they contribute to the American economy, creating jobs and so forth. However, and that same moment, we realize that a great number of these individuals have come from countries that do not have the rule of law, that have more socialist tendencies. And then in your book, you also talk about a historian from the University of Maine uh, who wrote this passage, I quote, created in 1901, the Socialist Party of America unsurprisingly declared its primary goal to be the collectivization by the means of production. And it continues by saying, among those attracted to the movement in heyday were immigrant and native-born families and workers and other individuals that were middle-class intellectuals. Now, Cheryl, how would you categorize the hard leftward shift in America today? Is it a low-grade concern or a high-grade concern? And should Americans who uphold the U.S. Constitution and its principles be concerned about their freedoms? And what are some of the examples you see as evidences of these concerns? Well, to answer your first question, I definitely think it's a high-grade concern. I mean, all Americans should be concerned about the seepage of socialism slash collectivism into America's politics and culture and society, because where does that leave your individual, individual rights? You know, I treasure, I cherish my individual freedoms. I love the idea that in this country... I can grow based and, and, and produce based on the seeds of talent that God has ingrained in me at birth and that I have the freedom to take those seeds, those talents, those gifts and create as I wish. You know, that's something remarkable about this nation that is different from so many other nations. And so whenever you talk about uh, socialism coming to America's soil, you have to think of it in terms of soul killing. Uh, I just think socialism is uh, another word for soul sucking. It just kills the spirit of independence that each individual human is endowed with by the creator, and it just strips them of all motivation, of all dignities to produce and create. And it makes them feel as if they're part of this big machine where their only purpose in life is to build and create and develop and produce for the collective good. So I think that Americans need to be aware uh, of what you just 
aptly put, a high-grade threat coming into America. Some of the examples I see of where maybe we are not so aware of the threat coming into America right now, it's just, it's all in my chapter titles. When, when we forget our roots, when we forget the history of what made America great, that opens the doors for others to come in and redefine what makes America great by defining what makes America terrible. If you look at what's happening right now in Washington, D.C., with the proposal put forward by an advisory committee that the mayor of D.C. Muriel Bowser is actually taking seriously, it's to remove or redefine or reconceptualize some of our famous monuments, the Thomas Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Monument. There are groups of people who see these founding fathers only in the most racist views and think that they should not only be blotted out in their statues from America, but that makes America inherently racist since these are the founders who created our founding governing documents. So you have to look at some of the early signs of socialism, far leftist uh, thoughts that seep into America's discussion, and then see where it leads. And if it's not based in principle on America's democratic republic, our constitution, then we should put a stop to it at at the beginning. We should not entertain thoughts that these are good ways that America should pursue in terms of our social and political development. For our listeners, we would certainly encourage them to go on to their search engines and look for the book Socialists Don't Sleep by Cheryl Cumley. It comes out on September 22, and you can certainly uh, go to Amazon.com and other sites as well to pre-order this great book. Uh, Cheryl, as you mentioned, this very important statement of soul killing, and I recall a conversation that Natasha and I had with a diplomat from the Balkans, and this uh, discussion took place in New York City at the United Nations in the early 2000s. And this is a diplomat who was an average citizen during the uh, days of communism in Yugoslavia, and he said something that was so profound, and I quote, he said, socialism and communism destroyed our minds, unquote. And so what you're saying, you know, in the fact that Uh, socialism is soul-killing, it certainly takes away that core principles that we've been able to appreciate here in the United States, the importance of the rule of law, the importance of individual liberty, religious freedom, uh, the protection of property rights, and it's uh, so apt that you stated and so succinctly uh, in your book. Thank you very much for that, and that's a very smart statement that that diplomat made because it's completely true. Look, you have to see the battle clearly. The left doesn't just want to win uh, politically. They don't just want to put candidates in office that dominate the political discussion. The far left, the true believing left, want uh, American citizens to actually worship their policies. They want to, as the diplomat said, change your mind, change your heart, and just steal your soul. It makes me think of the end of George Orwell's 1984, which I'm sure I'm not going to uh, ruin this because I'm sure most of your listeners have read this book. The end of that book is when Winston, who spent his entire uh, time in the book, 
clamoring for freedom and, and seeking freedom and fighting the whole big brother type of atmosphere. Finally, he gave into it, and he didn't just he didn't just give into it through his rhetoric or on the surface. His whole being believed in the big brother type mentality. He loved it. He loved Big Brother, and this is where the real danger is. It's not just the left wants to put you know Democrats or socialists in office. That's just part of their program. That's just part of their strategy. They actually want the worship of conservatives, of freedom-loving patriots, and they want to just completely change the minds, hearts, and souls so that forever after, then patriotic Americans will just follow this far-leftist collectivist quest. I mean, socialism, or as a transition to communism, uh, in a Marxist way, and his uh, infamous uh, slogan, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, does not work. It has been tried and failed in Eastern Europe. Worse yet, from socialism, most of these countries transitioned into criminal capitalism, or mafia states, whose tycoons and officials have at times sustained the Washington swamp. And you did refer in a few of your chapters about how actually U.S. foreign aid is sustaining some of the most corrupt regimes in Eastern Europe, including the regime in Moldova. Yes, which ties into the Biden family, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I'm not uh, saying that there are illegalities uh, that have occurred, between the Bidens and Burisma and Moldova government and all that. But if you look at America's history with foreign aid, so much money pours from U.S. taxpayer pockets into overseas sources. And a lot of these governments that our money ends up in, uh, they're corrupt. And so, in effect, what happens is U.S. taxpayers are funding these corrupt socialists, sometimes communist nations, and they're furthering, advancing the very principles around the world that are against what America itself stands for. Uh, the UN is one big, huge uh, umbrella of uh, cancerous tentacles of collectivism, and uh, that's just one example I go into, but Americans need to beware that all this talk about foreign aid and helping the poor people in other countries, if you start looking into where the money actually goes and peeling back the layers and doing some research, uh, a lot of times we are funding things that are just completely against American freedom-loving principles. And you mentioned that the U.S. spends some $50 billion, $50 billion annually on foreign aid, which by comparison is about what the government allocates annually to the U.S. Coast Guard. You said as well, but using U.S. tax dollars to bolster countries known as cesspools of corruption isn't sound fiscal policy that puts America first, particularly when the money is given over and over again. We have we have direct knowledge also of the World Bank's wasting U.S. taxpayers' funds in Eastern Europe with no accountability measures. Uh, could you kindly share with us your advice and solutions regarding foreign aid that you provide in your book? I'm a big believer in what America was founded upon, that aid to overseas governments, aid to foreign uh, entities should only be offered 
when there are strict strings attached for freedom and uh, tight accountability on how that money is spent. You know, the American taxpayers are the ones giving this money, so it's to the American taxpayers, not just some uh, bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. It's to the American taxpayers that the accountability must be given. And I also uh, am a big proponent of nonprofits, of churches, of private businesses taking up much of the charitable endeavors that Americans engage in each and every year. Americans, by and large, are a charitable bunch. I mean, we give money left and right. We give money when we're rich. We give money when we're downtrodden and poor. We give money when we're facing hardship ourselves. We still give money. We, we do this to those in our community, and we do this with those that we don't even know overseas. So the real big solution, I think, to the corruption that goes into the automatic deduction from taxpayer workers' paycheck to send to overseas sources that we don't know, that that maybe aren't friendly to us and that certainly aren't accountable to us, is to stop giving so much willy-nilly through Congress and start relying more on nonprofits, on churches, on private sectors, and so forth to give where needed, because that is a lot more accountable to the people. Cheryl, you uh, you so rightfully mentioned about the concerns of USAID and other taxpayer funds going to countries that are not accountable. As a point of information, Natasha and I have raised this issue about the Balkans, for example, that after the Balkan conflicts, the United States spent billions of dollars into Croatia, Bosnia, uh, Kosovo, and significant funds were distributed without any accountability. And as an example, from the years 2005 to 2014, for one such country, Croatia, over $35.6 billion left the country via crime, corruption, and tax evasion. And that amounts to about 73% of the country's 2015 GDP. So it's not a trickle amount of money that is stolen out of the Treasury, but it's huge. And you rightfully suggested that America needs to redefine how it is able to assist people abroad. Absolutely. It's it's mind-boggling the amounts of money that taxpayers don't even know where it goes, but the amount of money that we, the taxpayers, send to overseas sources. And here's the link to socialism, which is why I included this chapter and this information in my book, is that socialism breeds in corruption, and socialism breeds in secrecy. So when you're talking foreign aid, you are very frequently speaking of money that Americans aren't aware where it's going. So there's the secrecy component, and then money that is misused by the recipients of that taxpayer dollar, which is the corruption uh, facet. So uh, the socialism comes in sneaky ways, but this is one of the ways that I think that we need to reevaluate and perhaps uh, do some real reform in, because it's certainly not advancing American interests. Uh, Cheryl, in your book, Socialists Don't Sleep, you say, I quote, Republican-driven socialism, think about it, that we've been down this road before, shows it's a trend, not an anomaly. Businesses that are supposedly too big to fail 
have been successfully dipping into taxpayer pockets for years. Cheryl, how to put an end to this double standard, which funding for big corporations during the coronavirus pandemic showed again that profits are privatized in good times while losses are socialized in bad times. The market mechanism should eliminate companies which do not make provisions for bad times. I cannot stand the uh, the government line that says a business is too big to fail, so taxpayers have to come and bail it out. I just don't like that. I, I don't know of any business that should be too big to fail in a capitalistic system, which is what America is supposed to be, though you can make the argument we strayed from it. But... That doesn't mean we have to throw it out. In a capitalistic system, businesses grow, thrive, and succeed based on their business decisions. It doesn't have anything to do with taxpayer infusion of dollars or the government's interference, and it shouldn't. So I think that we should strive toward as much purity in our capitalism as possible instead of going down this road that some businesses are too big to fail, so taxpayers have to cough up money in order to keep them running. We did that uh, under both Bush and Barack Obama with the the stimulus dollars that flowed into the, the big car manufacturers. We did it with the coronavirus, with the airlines, and I just don't think that that's an argument that a free country should be making where the government has the right to use taxpayer dollars to pick and choose which businesses should win and which businesses should be funded versus which businesses, well, you're too little, you, you don't contribute enough, so we'll let you fall. And one of the reasons I really hate this, aside from just the, the on the surface, not thinking it's a capitalistic system is it gives the far left, it gives the socialists an argument, a very valid argument to make about a failure of capitalism. It's not a failure of capitalism because that's not a capitalistic system. But when we give taxpayer dollars to say bail out the airlines because of the coronavirus, because they chose to spend their billions of dollars of profit on bolstering CEO salaries and benefit packages instead of saving for a rainy day, then what happens is you give people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a card-carrying socialist, the right to make the case that capitalism fails and big corporations benefit from government, and it puts the average American citizen as a second-class citizen to, to the side. And I don't like the idea that a socialist gets to make the argument that capitalism fails, and yet this is what happens when we allow that argument to be made that too big to fail businesses need taxpayer dollars. They don't. What they need to do is plan for downtimes because any good business owner knows that just because something is profitable in the moment, a tough time could come and they need to save wisely. Cheryl, your book, Socialists Don't Sleep, is coming out on September 22nd, and certainly our, our listeners and those that are interested in this book can uh, pre-order this book here. And in wrapping up our program here, as a final question, what is your message to listeners and to those that are concerned about America, to our fellow Americans, on what they can do to address the resurgence of socialism, uh, the pathway to communism in America? Well, I, I think the number one thing people can do is 
determined not to give up the fight. And you have to stand fast because the socialist onslaught, as I, uh, as I trace in this book, has been ongoing for decades in this country. It didn't start with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez being elected. Uh, so you have to determine that I'm going to save my nation. I'm going to fight this. And second off, you have to be educated on where the seeds are planted. It's not just socialism. It's all the seeds that, that grow socialism and collectivism. Those are the things we have to fight because once they've grown and spread, they're often too hard to fight back. They're often too hard to remove. Uh, look at our school systems, for example. And the third thing is, in, in my view, as a Christian conservative, Christians need to get more in the battle because this is a battle that is just, it's right up Christians' alley. Judeo-Christian principles is what founded America, what rose America to greatness, and what can make America as great as it very well could be, except we have moved God from the main stage and put him as second fiddle to government. So this is right up Christians' battles, and they need to uh, get a little bit more vocal in politics and culture and society because this is the way that we can not only keep America great, but keep America great for the foreseeable future for generations to come. And experience has shown in Eastern Europe that for socialism to work, there cannot be higher authority than the government. And socialism runs counter the creed that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the government replaced God, family, and Judeo-Christian ethical values in all countries that were socialist or communist. That's absolutely right. You nailed it. That, that's it right there, Natasha. That's, that's the big danger. Cheryl Cumbly is an author, commentary writer, and the online opinion editor for The Washington Times, and she hosts a twice-weekly podcast at The Washington Times called Bold and Blunt and available on online po- platforms including Spotify, Apple, and other podcast hosting sites, including The Washington Times. Cheryl, uh, we truly thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable, and we will encourage our uh, listeners and those that are within the network's to certainly pre-order Socialists Don't Sleep. Thank you so much, Errol. Thank you. Thank you both. Have a great day. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.